Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hi, welcome to Hollywood Crime Scene. This is Rachel Fisher. And hi, this is Desi Jenikin. Ooh, Desi. I switched it up. That was really <laughs> sultry. I, I appreciate that. Okay. Let's start out by thanking this week's Patreon subscribers. They went to patreon.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. We have some new episodes that we posted recently up there, and we always do our weekly after show where you hear the uh, unfiltered conversation. I don't know when to say it's unfiltered. What is Behind it? the scenes, What's the, chit-chat, we whatever we want to talk about. We talk about whatever we want to talk about on the after show, and that's a weekly show we do on Patreon. Yeah. So, Yeah. This week we had Van Ray, Emil, James, Innes, Liam, Sarah, Sully, Chloe, Taylor, Tia, Julian, Anastasia, and Elena. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much. All right. This is part two of Movie versus Reality, The Dentist. Now, in my haste last week, I accidentally labeled part one, part two, and a listener alerted me to it. They're like, wait, did I miss part one? Oh. I fixed it like yeah. immediately, but we uploaded it so late at night that like I just was, I, I don't know why I did that. So this is part two. Okay. The first one we uploaded, it, sh- it should say. The, <laughs> Sometimes the, the update lags for people. Yeah. And maybe other apps didn't catch it. Yeah. As soon. I checked but yeah, on, it didn't say part one. For I me. checked on my app, but yeah, yeah for, for like, um, a half hour, maybe it said part two. Damn, that listener was on it. <laughs> I was, I wouldn't have noticed. I was really grateful that she pointed it out. Yeah. So this is part two. Okay, we got it. The, the final chapter of this saga. You know, you posted a picture of him, and I thought this comment was really funny that someone said he looked like Otis Tool. He did. And then I had to double check. I know. Like, it was like, <laughs> I was like, I, I did. I was like, he really does. I was like, wait, did Rachel post a picture? <laughs> no, that's him. That's him. He does look like that. I mean, that was like a more deranged picture of him. Right. He does. He did normally wear his hair clean cut, more slicked back. Yeah, a little less. Frazzled. It wasn't as like that was like his just that wasn't been arrested. his late fucking the ladies in the dentist chair hair. No, but that was probably after fucking the ladies in the. I dentist. mean, he's an unattractive man. I'll give him that. Yeah, he's 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 not attractive on any level. No, which is also which is confounding that he got so many chicks. Yeah. Okay. So my main source for this episode, again, is the book Appointment for Murder by Susan Crane Bakos. I also used a lot of old newspaper articles for this episode as well. Let's get into it. Where we left off last week, in September of 1976, Dr. Engelman's 24-year-old assistant, Carmen Miranda witnessed her husband Peter's murder while they were walking through a wooded area in Pacific, Missouri. 
The shooter fled the scene, but the gun was found nearby. Police believed it to be a hunting accident. Police also investigated whether or not Peter's death could have been a mob hit, as there was rising tensions between rival mobs in the area at that time. But that didn't pan out. Peter did not have any mob connections. After undergoing several police interviews, Peter's widow Carmen hired a lawyer, and then she checked herself into a mental hospital where she remained for a very long time. Oh, shit. Yeah. Police also interviewed Carmen's employer, Dr. Engelman, but there didn't seem to be anything there. Nobody seemed to want Peter dead, and the case went cold. What police didn't know at that time was that Dr. Engelman had hand-picked Peter Halm to marry his young dental assistant, Carmen. Now, we mentioned in part one that Engelman thought of himself as a Svengali-like character, able to manipulate women sexually to do his bidding. Peter Holm had been a patient of Engelman's, and the doctor set him up with Carmen. So they hatched a plan that she would marry this guy that was a patient. Okay. And he, so like he has a steady job. Right. He's some life insurance. We could get some life insurance out of him. You're going to marry this guy. So like two years later, less than two years later. She did. She did. And then... Four months after they got married, he was murdered in that park. He can, like I said, he convinced Carmen to marry a man with a steady job, take out a life insurance policy on him, and then he could split, he could murder him, and then they would split the profits. Carmen simultaneously feared and looked up to the dentist. And she had known him since she was a really young girl, as we talked about last week. She just trusted him. Carmen knew what was going to go down that day in the park. Yeah. After the wedding, the two hatched a plan to off her husband. In fact, there were at least two failed attempts to murder Peter (gasps) before they actually did it. It didn't work out. Actually, one of the murder attempts was thwarted by a dog. (gasps) A dog scared Dr. Engelman. We'll give the dog credit. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) He tried. Yeah. After Carmen lured her husband to the pre-selected location, Engelman hid nearby with his rifle. He had purchased the weapon from his longtime friend, Bob Handy, who was an ex-con. After Peter's murder, the life insurance company paid out $75,000 to his widow, Carmen. Engelman was given $10,000 for the murder. Bob Handy got a cut as well. Wow. Engelman had been spending a lot more time with Bob Handy since he had gotten out of prison in 1968. Handy was put away on counterfeiting charges. Now, Engelman had actually orchestrated this counterfeiting scheme, but Handy wound up covering for him and doing the time. Damn. They were buds. He's like a mob boss. People respected and feared Glennon Engelman in his circle. Yeah. Like he really, and he really got off that he could control people this way. Yeah. It's wild. In 1971, he introduced Handy to Barbara Boyle. Engelman had known Barbara for several years at this point. They had initially met in the late 60s when she was living in an apartment at his mom's house. When Engelman brought Handy over to Barbara's house that day, he could immediately tell that her and the dentist were probably fucking. (gasps) Just the way they were interacting with each other. Like, oh, another one of his bitches. Yeah. And they were fucking. (laughs) Just FYI. (laughs) The dentist and Barbara Boyle 
were fucking and had been for years. They would carry out this relationship for a long time. And wouldn't you know, Barbara preferred fucking Engelman in the dentist chair. <gasps> Remember how he had yeah. that cot? Yeah. Or that sleeping bag. It was a sleeping bag he had. Right. But Barbara was like, I'm not fucking you on the floor on a sleeping bag. Right. We're, we're going to have sex in the dentist chair. You fool. <laughs> you fucking idiot. Why haven't you been doing this Absolutely. the whole time? Now, one time, uh, his wife, Ruth, mm-hmm. actually heard him and Barbara fucking in the office. Like, she just stood by and listened. He was not good at covering up his many affairs. So he wasn't like, no, no, it was just, she was in pain from a root canal. <laughs> That's why she was moaning. <laughs> <laughs> that root was in there deep. That slur- slurping sound. <laughs> Was her spitting? It the was. Sink. It was that little suction thing. Yeah. <laughs> oh. In 1976, Barbara Boyle married a man named Ronald Goosewell. His parents, Arthur and Vernita, were wealthy farm owners. Barbara was thrilled, and Engelman was thrilled for her. Mm. She's marrying a, a guy with farmer. a rich farmer family. <laughs> A year later, on the evening of, of November 3rd, 1977, Engelman picked up Bob Handy at his house. Engelman was dressed in a suit and tie and carried with him a 22 caliber pistol. The men drove in Handy's car to Arthur and Vernita Goosewell's brick ranch-style home in the rural town of Edwardsville, Illinois. Now, Edwardsville is just northeast of St. Louis. I think that uh, Bob Handy is an all-time henchman name. Oh. <laughs> like, it sounds like it's out of Dick Tracy or something. Well, it's like he's a handyman, but for henchman duties. Yeah. Bob Handy. It's a great name for that yeah. villain Absolutely. character. When they arrived, Engelman got out of the car and knocked on the front door. 61-year-old Arthur Goosewell answered, and Dr. Engelman introduced himself as a representative for the Farm Bureau. <laughs> she just come up with that like seconds before the door opened. I don't even know if that exists. <laughs> no. Why was he coming unannounced uh, at night? Yeah. So, but Arthur was like, sure, come on inside. Yeah. But once inside, Engelman pulled out his gun. He ordered Arthur and his 55-year-old wife, Vernita, to get down on the ground. Engelman fired three shots into Vernita's head, and then he turned to Arthur and shot him twice in the head. <gasps> Bob Handy then entered the home, and the pair staged the scene to look like a robbery. They tore the place apart, looking for any money and valuables that they could steal, leaving the home a total disaster in the process. On the way home, Engelman told Handy how easy that whole thing was. What they didn't realize was that Arthur Goosewell was still alive. (gasps) He managed to call for an ambulance at 7.40 p.m. after Engelman and Handy had left the scene. He was rushed to the hospital, but he died an hour later. And he was not able to offer up any information about his killer. He was just like two burglars. Yeah. The St. Louis Dispatch reported the double murder as one that stunned the small community. Friends and acquaintances were shocked that anyone could murder the kind church-going couple who apparently had zero enemies. One of the neighbors told police that she had seen a car pull up on their property at 6 p.m. on the night of the murder, but she suspected it was one of their two sons, Ronald or Richard. The Goosewell estate was worth half a million dollars and was to be divided equally to the two sons, Ronald and Richard. 
Barbara Boyle, who was Ronald's wife, would naturally be getting in on that action too. After Barbara married Ronald, she loaded up on life insurance policies. She actually took out 14 policies <gasps> on her husband, Ronald, that were close to $600 million. Holy Wait, shit. No, $600,000. Okay. I'm sorry. I was like, damn, girl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, is that even possible? I would doubt at that salary. Right. right? <laughs> no, 600000 which still... That's still a lot. It's a lot of money now, and it was a lot of money in 1976. Yeah. So it was going to be a big payday for her once he was gone. Once he was gone. Yeah. It was all, so she was getting, expecting this payday from the parents dying, but she also had to take out life insurance yeah. on She's her like, own I want husband. the inheritance and some life insurance. Yeah. She's going big. Yeah. Despite making extra money from his hit jobs, Dr. Engelman was hurting for cash. He owed a ton of money to the IRS, and on top of that, he was in debt to the dental lab that his practice used. The owner of the lab was Sophie Barrera, and in 1978, he owed her over $14,000. Okay. So, although Engelman was, like, getting money from his side hustle as a hitman... What's he spending it on? Well, he's not making a lot of money at the dental office, because he does do a lot of dental work for free. I don't know what he's spending it on. The like biggest purchase I could think of was the drag racing strip yeah. that he bought. Hold on. So he owes this woman, Sophie Barrera, $14,000. And he doesn't have it. He also owes the IRS a ton of money. And yeah. he, he hates the IRS. He's like, I am not paying that. It was a ton of back taxes. And so on March 20th, 1979... Sophie became afraid for her life when she discovered that a bomb had been left outside of her house. Now, it had rained that day and the bomb had been destroyed, so the plot to kill her was thwarted. But that close call left her looking over her shoulder. Yeah. So much to the point where she kept with her a piece of paper that had the number for the police department in case she needed to call that immediately. The one person who had any real motive to kill her was Dr. Engelman, of course. Sophie was divorced in her late 50s with two kids and four grandchildren. Though the dental lab she owned didn't make much money, she had been in business for almost 40 years. Immediately following the attempted bombing, she dropped the suit that she was filing against Dr. Engelman (gasps) to get the money because she was scared. But her lawyer convinced her to refile, and they did, and they were determined to get that nearly $15,000 that he owed her. Meanwhile, Barbara and Ronald Goosewell had not seen any of the money from the Goosewell estate. Engelman needed that money, so he began hatching a new plan with Bob Handy. He went through a few different ideas on how they could murder Ronald Goosewell so they could get the life insurance money, because that estate money, I think the brother, the brother was still alive, And it was to be split, and there was like some squabbling in the court. And sometimes estate money does just take a while to come through, and they needed it. They didn't want to wait. They did not want to wait. One of these plans that they hatched to murder Ronald Goosewell involved Engelman pretending to have car trouble and flagging down Ronald from the side of the road and just shooting him when he came over to help. Another plan involved staging a kidnapping gone wrong with Barbara. He was going to tie Barbara up and then shoot Ronald while he was trying to save her. Right. That seems very involved. Yeah. 
But it was 1979 when Glennon Engelman, Bob Handy, and Barbara Boyle executed their final plan. On the evening of March 31st, 1979, there was a knock at the door at Bob Handy's house. He answered the door to Dr. Engelman. Handy pulled a 38 revolver from his jacket pocket and showed his friend. The men then left in Handy's car, taking with them plastic gloves and trash bags. The two men drove across the Mississippi River into Illinois to a shopping center in Fairmont City where they met Barbara. Now, at this point, Desi, in my research, I was on Google Maps a lot. Like, wait, how close is Illinois? Like, I always forget how close, like, some... (laughs) states are together yeah because they could have like a corner where there's like four states touching or something yeah you know and like i'm from here and like we have like a really fucking long state yes it's just a big ass state so illinois is not that far from where they're coming yeah look i didn't know that until this week right just letting you guys know so they drive into illinois to um go to this shopping center this town called Fairmont City, where they meet Barbara Boyle. And then they all piled in Barbara's car and headed to Edwardsville to the home that she shared with Ronald. Ronald wasn't home yet, but he was on his way. Barbara went inside the house to change her clothes, and Engelman and Handy hid out in the garage and waited. Thirty minutes passed before they heard the sound of Ronald's car rumbling up the gravel driveway. The garage door opened as Ronald pulled in. When he got out of the car, Engelman appeared and pointed a gun straight at Ronald. Engelman said to Ronald, you're never going to fuck her again. (laughs) Jesus. And then he shot him in the chest. I mean, there's a lot of things he's not going to be doing. Uh, I like how that's his his final statement. He was very possessive over his side chicks. Oh, He was very possessive and he had this idea like, they can't fuck you like I fuck you. I hate this guy. He's a disgusting pig. Uh, on many different levels, but he had to he had to have that like final yeah. statement to the guy he's about to murder. So he shoots him in the chest. Ronald attempted to stumble into the house, but Engelman stopped him, smashing his head with a sledgehammer. Ronald fell to the floor, blood spilling all over the garage. Oh as God. Engelman called out for Barbara to bring some towels. After the three of them mopped up the blood around Ronald, they took his watch off his wrist, they took his billfold out of his pocket, and then they put some condoms in his shirt pocket. (sighs) Then they loaded his body into the backseat of his Camaro. First, they all drove back to the mall where they picked up Engelman's car. Then they caravaned to East St. Louis to drop off the Camaro and Ronald at a motel. They positioned the corpse in the front seat, the condoms in the pocket and the stolen watch and billfold was Engelman's attempt to make this look like a sex worker murdered him and stole his money right. and dropping him off at this yeah. motel. So let's take a quick break here and we'll be right back. Okay. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. 
Rakuten's Big Give Week is back with 15% cash back. It's a festival of savings with big cash back at hundreds of stores. Don't miss headliners like Canon, Fenty Beauty, and Dyson. I can't wait to shop for all of my summer fashion and beauty needs, and we'll definitely be checking out Ulta and Adidas. Rakuten really is the best way to shop. You can really save by stacking cash back on top of other deals. And during Big Give Week, the cash back is bigger than ever. It's the time to shop for everything you need for spring and summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. Membership is free, and it's all happening May 6th to May 13th. Join today for free and get an extra 10% cash back boost on top of Big Give Week cashback rates. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app today. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Rakuten is the shopping platform to save while shopping. I'm the queen of starting a free trial offer and forgetting to cancel it, oftentimes being charged for months for something I'm not even using. If I asked you how many subscriptions you have, would you be able to list all of them and how much you're paying? If you would have asked me this question before I started using Rocket Money, I would have said yes, but let me tell you, I would have been so wrong. I can't believe how many I had and all the money I was wasting. With Rocket Money, I can see all of my subscriptions in one place, and if I see something I don't want, I can cancel it with a tap. I never have to get on the phone with customer service. They'll even try to get you a refund for the last couple of months of wasted money and negotiate to lower your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is take a picture of your bill, and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over $500 million in canceled subscriptions. It's definitely saved me money, and now I can use that money to waste on things I do want. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. That's rocketmoney.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. At around 4.45 p.m. on January 14, 1980, Sophie Barrera was leaving the dental lab and headed to get into her red Ford Pinto, which was parked out back. Earlier that morning, her ex-brother-in-law, Vincent, who worked for her as a delivery guy, had borrowed the car and returned it to the lab just after 10 a.m. Sophie got into the car and put the keys into the ignition. A blast went off, exploding the car and killing Sophie. (gasps) A bomb had been planted underneath the car that went off when she started it. The blast was so powerful that it shattered windows nearby and left pieces of her body strewn all over the streets. One of her ears wasn't found until the next day because it was... It had been launched 100 feet from the site. I mean, this was a brutal, brutal murder. I mean, what an idiot. Because this is the one where he is... Tie like the only person who has any reason for her to go. That's what I'm saying. That's what I said last week when I heard somebody say that he was a smart guy. I'm like, no, he was not a smart guy. I mean, this is a guy who is uh, has illusions of grandeur. Like he is an ego. He has a huge ego and thinks he's smarter than everyone. Right. Because uh, as as off as the other ones are, because he's fucking all these wives and women's of these guys who are dying. Like this is literally no one wants this woman dead. She's, she's a grandma 
who has like a business. You know what I mean? Like there's only one person who she's suing. Yes. Probably. <laughs> like, it's, it's just like, it's so, he's going to be the prime suspect now, I'm it, guessing. Uh, well, yeah. I mean, nobody, nobody wants Sophie Barrera dead. And she, he's already threatened her or been threatening towards her. Yeah. She's been afraid of this guy. Yeah. The streets were filled with the stench of gasoline and burnt flesh. Sophie's son, Fred, was alerted to the bombing while he was still at work. He had to identify his mother's remains. Aww. Really sad. Police were initially suspicious of him because they didn't find his initial reaction to the murder serious enough, but he was obviously in shock. Yeah. Like, you get told that your mom, who has no enemies, who's this sweet old woman, is exploded in a car bomb. Yeah, how do you take that in? That yeah. doesn't seem possible. No. Later that evening, Ruth Jolly, who is Dr. Engelman's now ex-wife, they got divorced at some point during all of this, but this is his third wife. She saw the story on the news, and she knew that her ex-husband had to be responsible. What she didn't know is that Engelman had already been picked up by the police and was being questioned, as he was one of Sophie's business associates. At this moment, Ruth was terrified that she would be next. She knew what her husband was capable of. He had actually spilled to her all of the details of his previous murders over the years that they were married. He told her pretty much everything, all the way back to the murder of James Bullock in 1958. She needed to let Dr. Engelman know that she wouldn't say a word to anyone. Right. Now, they both have a young, like a 10-year-old son at this point, and she just wants to do anything to protect her son and to protect herself. At the station, Engelman talked to the detectives about the lawsuit against him. He told them that actually Sophie was cheating him out of money and that he was confident he would win this lawsuit. He then called her a greedy bitch and said she had a Jew lawyer. <gasps> and, <laughs> look, he. So the cops were like, well, okay, you, you yeah. got a point there. <laughs> <laughs> right. The cops did not bat an eyelash at that statement. Honestly, I mean, this guy, as I said last week, it's funny that there's so much. I've seen so many different narratives uh, about this case before. Like, he was just a friendly neighborhood dentist. I'm like, this guy was not friendly at all. He was a fucking outright, like, unrepentant racist and bigot. He, he seems awful. Like, he, there's no, ch- there's like some of these killers can seem charming. You're like, yeah, I get why he got people in his little web initially. Right. But this guy doesn't even seem likable at all. Right. Like, I the, mean, not that I've seen. The one thing that people cited was that he gave free dental work to some people. Right. But that I feel like they that stretches a little far. Like like that can't be the one thing when there's all these other horrible things about him. Sure he won't sir uh treat black people. Right. But he gave some people free dental care. Like Yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean it just it's probably like okay, so everyone else around him was probably really racist and they And just that didn't, didn't bother them. They didn't yeah. bat an eyelash. Well they get that. we get that. Right. Yeah. So after his questioning with the police, they let him go. The ATF actually got involved with this investigation, and they concluded that because the murder used an absurd amount of dynamite and because Sophie was a harmless old woman, this couldn't possibly be the work of a mobster. So that theory was thrown out pretty quickly. Engelman had turned in his appointment book for that day to account for his whereabouts during the murder, but... 
he still looked like a potential suspect to the detectives. So they were starting to come around on the fact that, all right, maybe we should look into the guy who had the lawsuit. The only person who possibly could have wanted her dead. Yeah. Engelman went over to Ruth's house the next night. Now, Dr. Engelman and Ruth, his ex-wife, even though they're divorced, they're still hanging out and fucking. Oh, boy. He's really got a hold on these women. Oh, look, I got to try him out. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Desi. <laughs> now I'm curious. You know his dick game is trash. I know, but are these women just, there's just nothing else available? Like, I, what's I, going on? I think these women are have issues, clearly. Right. But how you can't 100% know his dick game is trash. I, I just, I have to believe someone as awful as him has trash dick game. I guess, but sometimes people who are really insane... <laughs> No, he's not insane in a good way. No, he's not. He's just disgusting. Yeah. So when Engelman was at uh, Ruth's house, he told her that Sophie had gotten what she deserved. At this point, Ruth didn't want confirmation from her ex-husband that he had murdered her. She just couldn't go there yet. Yeah. Even though she knew in her gut, she she was like, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear him say it. So she tried to change the subject. Two days after the murder, the papers reported that Dr. Engelman had been questioned by the police. They named him. They didn't say police questioned a person of interest. They actually said her business associate, Dr. Engelman, was questioned for three hours, but then he was let go. Ruth, at this point, could feel the walls closing in. She knew it was only a matter of time before she had to do something. She talked about this with her coworker, who was like, you need to go to the police and report what you know. That evening, the police went to Ruth's house to talk to her. They could tell that she was terrified. Ruth told them that her ex-husband had threatened to kill her before and that she knew what he was capable of. She said that he had killed before several times. It wasn't just Sophie Barrera. This first meeting was the first of many with investigators as Ruth would spill her guts about their marriage to the de- about her marriage to the dentist, about his many crimes, including multiple murders that he had committed over two decades. The first instance that she had become aware of Engelman's double life as a hitman was before they were married, when he flat out admitted to both her and his sister Melody that he killed James Bullock in 1958. Damn. They were like hanging out and his sister Melody was like, it's not true what they said about my brother. He didn't kill that man. He was a homosexual. And uh, Engelman comes storming in and he was like, I did kill him, God damn it. Yeah. Now he's like at the point in his craziness where he wants credit. Yeah. Yeah. But he had wanted credit back then. Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, when before they were married. So Ruth agreed to wear a wire, as there was a lot of stuff that she told detectives that occurred while she was married to Engelman, and that wouldn't be admissible in court. They wanted to hear it straight from his mouth. They really wanted this like airtight case. Though they were divorced, like I said, they spent a lot of time together, so it wasn't unusual that they would be hanging out right. and having these intimate conversations. Investigators listened back to the first tapes that had been recorded, and while they picked up on a lot of Engelman's racist and anti-Semitic rants and statements, um, he, they, they, he didn't flat out admit to killing anybody. Right. But he, like every tape that they, they listened to, no matter what the context was, it was Jew lawyer this and yeah. 
other slurs that like to like in any context. Yeah. It's fucking wild. So they're like, we need to like, you need to do another recording recording with him. Like we need to just keep, you need to keep push him a little bit to say some stuff. Uh, They also bugged Ruth's house. So she invited Engelman to have dinner with their son, David, the recordings, that were picked up on this night were not good. The most they could make out was an argument that they had over which frozen pizza was the best. <gasps> well, what did he say? <laughs> he did say something. It was like Torino's or something. <laughs> I don't know. It's probably a defunct brand. Yeah. It, it was some early 80s pizza brand. I mean, I would love to hear this argument. <laughs> this, is the, this is the point where if I was a detective listening in the van, I'd be like, well, let's hear them out. Yeah. Hold on. No, well, we don't need to fast forward. No, we don't. We never know. We never know what, what clues might be hidden in there. <laughs> oh, that's a psychopath. Oh. He likes that one. He likes Red Baron the best. I'm going to go with her. She picked Stouffer's French bread. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then at one point, Ruth's cat Fluffy started <gasps> chewing on a piece of carpet where a microphone was stashed. Jesus Christ. This is peak cat. <laughs> This is a classic cat move. The one place in the house where the cat should not be, the cat is. Yes. The cat is destroying and expensive. The cat's like, hey, what's this? (laughs) This is new. (laughs) Glennon is like, what is the cat doing? Busts the whole operation. Meanwhile, the investigators are in her ear going, get the cat away. Get the cat away. (laughs) Fluffy's like I could just picture. First of all, its name is Fluffy. Yeah, you you gotta love anyone who names their cat Fluffy. At this point, it's high camp. Like to name your cat Fluffy. Oh yeah. Uh, so yeah, I just love the cat. Oh, I love the cat too. Uh, the cat. <laughs> so Ruth, it finally after this botched attempt. She admitted to the detectives that her ex-husband was most likely to open up to her after they had sex and were lying in bed because that's when he did his most juicy confessions to her. This is when he told her about the Peter Hall murder, like they had just fucked and he's like, yeah, "Yeah, we're going to kill this guy. Yeah. So she's like, well, I guess I have to have sex with him. So she's getting a little benefit now. <laughs> she's excited. So she suggested that they bug the bedroom. Ugh. On January 27th, the local papers named Engelman as the suspect in the bombing of the murder of Sophie Barrera. The St. Louis Globe reported that he had benefited financially from Sophie's murder, as well as the 1958 murder of James Bullock and the death of his former employee, Eric Frey, the one who was killed in what had appeared to be an accidental dynamite explosion right. at the work at site. The work site. What the papers didn't know at that time were the details of Eric Frey's death. Now, the cause of death was being dynamited, yeah. but what had actually happened was that Engelman stood over him and bashed his head in with a rock before throwing him into the cistern and then exploding him with dynamite. Right. So he did that, obviously, to obscure the cause of death and make it look like an accident. And as we said last week, Eric Frey was promptly cremated by Sandy, his wife. Right. The paper cited the money that he received from the wives of both James Bullock and Eric Frey after their deaths. After Bullock was gunned down, he received $20,000 from his widow. And after Frey died, he received $16,000 from his widow. So this is, they're not like saying, 
this is damning stuff yeah. to have printed where they're connecting the dots saying, oh, he he profited off all these uh, unsolved murders. Right. On January 29th, Engelman went to Ruth's house for dinner. By this time, he was hopping mad and probably scared shitless that the investigators were on to him. He told Ruth that they couldn't prove anything and that when this was all over, he was going to file a big lawsuit against everyone. They would all be sorry that I was wrongfully accused of this. Ruth and Engelman then went upstairs to have sex. And like I said, the bedroom was bugged. And their sex session was picked up by the recording devices. And detectives had to hear all of the gory details. Jesus. I mean, the book really went into graphic detail about the slapping sounds and <laughs> how he how he ate her pussy. Really? Yes. Like, I mean, they... Look. <laughs> they were like... I like to picture the cops silently <laughs> listening to this, the most awkward thing. You could probably hear a pin drop in that room. Right. It's like when a sex scene started when your parents were with you or something. It's just you're just sitting there completely silent, hoping for it to end or something. And look, Ruth was either really into it or really playing her part as an actress because she in the recording was picked up as saying pussy wants to play. (laughs) Jesus Christ. (laughs) Why would you ever say that? Like, especially when you know you're being recorded. Oh my God. I'd be the most like chased ever. I would be like, there'd be no way. I would be so mortified that I would have to remain silent the whole time, but she really put on a show. I think she probably didn't want Engelman to think there was anything off. I know, but don't you think pussy wants to play is a little too far? <laughs> like she could have gotten away with not saying that. <laughs> she could have said, fuck my pussy. And that would have maybe seemed more standard. Yeah. Like a less I mean, yeah, because she has to seem into it or yeah. like as, as it normally would be and to some he, extent. Engelman was like notorious for liking dirty talk. Okay. So he's saying all kinds of shit while Ugh, they're fucking. God. I mean, and they got to listen to all of this. I read in the book that they promptly deleted this tape as soon as they got all the yeah. information they had. They're like, we send that to the bowels of hell. Yeah. We never want to hear that again. That's the tape when people are like, here's a recording from hell. It's that tape. It's that tape. <laughs> Those aren't screams. No. It's, it's Engelman fucking Ugh. Ruthie. <laughs> Now, after they fucked, they're laying in bed, and Ruth asked Engelman what he thought about all the stories that were written about him in the paper. He never directly implicated himself, but he still had to call Sophie a bitch in the process and talk about her Jew lawyer some more. (laughs) He's basically just repeating all the same stuff. Yeah. Uh, He's getting angrier and angrier. Uh, and so when Ruth goes back to meet with the detectives after this, she's like, okay, please tell me that that was enough. And they were like, okay, that was good, but we need a little more. Pussy wants to play, if you know what I mean. (laughs) (laughs) They were like, we need him to actually say that he killed them. We, We get that he hates the lawyer. Yeah. And thinks that Sophie was a bitch who deserved to die. Right. We we need a little more. So on the 31st, which was two days later, Engelman came over to Ruth's again. She's like been doing this for a few weeks now, and she's frustrated. So she just immediately starts asking him why he did it. He, she's like, why'd you do it? 
Yeah. She isn't fucking around anymore. She's over it at this point. And he became irritated, urging her to just drop it. He's like, just drop it, okay? What's done is done. So we keep saying these things that like... Are vague. Are vague. Where it's like, okay, it's clear he did it, but they're not... Incriminating. Incriminating enough. So then at that point, because she kept hammering him on it, he was like, what are you, wearing a wire? And she was like, no. Yeah. Uh, so she dropped it. Then um, the investigators realized at that point, okay, we're not going to get anything more out of Engelman. We're just going to have to hear rants about the lawyer every time. Right. Uh, so they temporarily halted Ruth's undercover work. They then decided to try a new angle, investigate the 1976 murder of Peter Holm. On February 14th, the Globe ran a story that said Dr. Engelman's former dental assistant, Carmen, benefited financially from the death of her husband. They said that after she received the life insurance payout, she then gave money to Dr. Engelman as a, quote, investment. Right. So she's like, oh, here's another debt murder where he's getting money. Following the report in the paper, Ruth met with Engelman for dinner at a restaurant, and she was wired up again this time because they thought this is enough. Now he has this added pressure on him of this new murder investigation, this link to him. Ruth brought up the paper about bringing up Peter Holm. She asked about the money that his widow Carmen got from the life insurance Engelman admitted that she was supposed to get $100,000 and he was supposed to get $20,000, but it didn't work out that way and they got considerably less. Then he really got to talking. He was finally spilling the beans in a way that would be useful to investigators, which I think is interesting that he's spilling the beans finally and they're like in a public place in a restaurant. And she's probably like, so I I fucked him for nothing. (laughs) (laughs) Right, at that point. He said about Carmen, quote, I'm going to tell you something, Ruth. You can be sexually intimate with another person, but when you're homicidally intimate with another person and all, Ruth asked, were you sexually intimate with Carmen? Engelman replied, ah, no, honey. I'm telling you for that. I'm telling you this for this point. When you've had to keep a secret to yourself for weeks and months and all at once, when you finally get back to your partner, wow, it's... Who knows what an outpouring, what a relief. I had that with Carmen, babe, and with Handy. Then Engelman continued to talk about Bob Handy and how they could only talk in secret with each other about what they'd done. Then he said, I had that same homicidal intimacy with Carmen. And that's what detectives finally decided that was enough. Yeah. That he said, I had homicidal intimacy right. with Carmen and Bob Handy. And on February 24th, Dr. Glennon Engelman was arrested and charged with the murder of Peter Holm. Bob Handy was also charged. Engelman was then charged with the murder of Sophie Barrera. Meanwhile, he was being investigated for the murders of Arthur and Vernita Guswell and their son Ronald. He was also under investigation for the mysterious or suspicious death of Eric Frey, which they now believe to be a homicide, as well as the shooting death of James Bullock. Not only, were Eng- not only were Engelman and Bob Handy charged with several counts of murder, they were also charged with conspiracy and mail and wire fraud. Both of them pled innocent. Ruth was granted immunity for, for her cooperation with the case. Carmen Miranda was not charged at all for her role in the murder plot of her husband. Uh, she was 
granted immunity in exchange for her testimony, and she gave up a lot. She basically told detectives the entire plot right. to murder her husband for the insurance money. She described to them the two attempts that were made on her husband's life before he was murdered in the park that September day in 1976. Engelman and Handy were then convicted of the murder of Peter Holm in August of 1980. They were also convicted of 15 counts of mail fraud and one count of conspiracy. Engelman was then tried and convicted of the murder of Sophie Barrera. A few years later, in 1984, Barbara Boyle was charged for her role in the murders of her husband, Ronald Goosewell, as well as the murder of his parents, Arthur and Vernita. Engelman pled guilty to committing those murders. Barbara was found guilty and sentenced to 50 years in prison, and she was released in 2009. Oh. So she's been out for a while. Dr. Engelman died in prison in 1999 at the age of 72 as a result of diabetes. He was never charged for the 1958 murder of James Bullock or the 1963 murder of Eric Frey, but he remains the prime suspect. Assistant U.S. Attorney Rick Buckles said of Engelman, quote, No, his motives were not money. He would treat people for nothing, and there were acts of kindness and charity in his background. I think probably his desire to control individuals was his driving force, to make all the little dummies walk in line and sing at the same time. And that's the story of (laughs) Dr. Glennon Engelman, the dentist. What is the movie about? It's literally just a slasher. Okay, so it's a dentist who kills. It's a dentist who murders, and it's like a lot of disgusting mouth torture. Oh. So it's like So they really play up the dentist angle. They really play up the dentist angle because having a fear of dentists is a classic trope. Yeah. A lot of people are afraid of the dentist. Um, A lot of dentist tools can be very scary. Totally. So they make use out of those. Yeah. It, It, I think... Brian Yesna really just took the fact that this is a killer. I mean, a killer, you hear killer dentist, you're like, that's scary. Yeah. Because some people maybe who are afraid of the dentist, who have a, that phobia, they're like, oh my God, I don't want my dent. What if my dentist was also a murderer and yeah. killed me in the chair? Yeah. Um, so, yeah. I mean, he's, it's a very campy movie. It's very, yeah. uh, they also did a TV movie. I think Kelsey Grammer is in it, <gasps> as not as the dentist though. I think he plays like the detective. Right. And the TV movie movie version is really from Ruth's point of view. It's very sort of, my husband has a secret. Is the TV movie more based on the real story? Yes. Okay. The TV movie is based on the real story more than the horror movie is, where the horror movie is more inspired yeah. by the idea of this killer dentist. But the TV movie is very much like, what the wife goes through finding out her husband yeah. has this evil secret. Right, right. And so I, I want to watch the TV movie. Yeah, it I'd sounds be curious good. to see that. Uh, I think it's from the early 90s. It came out like shortly after the book came out. Yeah. So, yeah. Cool. Let's record our after show and we will be back next week with an all new horror movie versus reality. We will. Okay. Goodbye. See you then. Bye.